Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on the interview series, a weekly chance to catch up. Sometimes it's actually a couple of times a week, catch up with some of the most interesting and exciting people making art and predominantly music today. EDM is an acronym for electronic dance music, which are three great words, electronic dance and music. But you put them together at the turn of the zeros into the 2010s, wrap them up in huge business. And that term EDM took on a whole different life. And as someone who's doing a lot of DJing and touring, and would definitely consider myself to have been a DJ during the EDM era. It was a strange thing because you knew you were part of it, but you weren't really sure what it meant. And I think that's because the money and the scale of the events and the size at which dance music had gotten it had separated it from why the DJs and the audiences came together in the first place. Sometimes I would go into fields and play my DJ set in front of these huge crowds and I wasn't even really sure whether people were listening to the music or even cared what I was going to play next. It was kind of a strange, detached experience sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes it was euphoric and amazing, but sometimes it was... It was strange and detached. It was also a time when the amount of music that was being released versus the amount of shows that were being played were, there was an imbalance. You could put out one song, two songs, and all of a sudden you're out there doing 200 shows a year. What does that mean? And and what kind of toll does it take on the person whose job it is to build business around music? That's what it became, just business first music second and it's the music business not business music anyway that was some context around the edm boom and the reason why i offered that is because the person i'm speaking to on this podcast is widely considered to be one of the most successful djs to have emerged from that era voted the number one dj on the planet in esteemed dance music magazines multiple years in a row his name is hardwell and his math does not lie this is a bona fide festival and arena headliner and is somebody who is not only put out music that's been heard millions of times and seen millions of times by people at festivals and clubs but also is widely considered by his peers to be one of the best doing it hardwell took an extended break and i asked him why and the conversation went from there it's a really personal very deep conversation that dives into the very recent history of edm the impact it took on him and on others around him, his peers and friends, and what he wants to achieve as an artist going forward. It's a conversation that, in my opinion, is very important, and I hope that you give some time to it right now on the interview series. All good things are worth waiting for, which feels like it could also have been the title of this album. <laughs> but in the end you, you went, exactly in the end you went for the far more dynamic rebels never die it's a strong statement for a very strong contributor and influence in the world of electronic music I wasn't sure we'd have this conversation I didn't really get to have one the first time around when it was absolutely batted crazy I'm glad we're having one now Hardwell how are you? I'm great how are you man? I'm doing really good, man. You know, you, your energy, I can tell even though I'm looking at you through a screen, which is just all too common still these days, that your energy is great and that you want to do this. That must be a relief for you, coming back with new music and, and getting ready to do tours and do shows after an extended break, that there's a willingness to do this, that you're not on the treadmill anymore and someone's picking the speed, you know? Yeah, it feels amazing. I really needed that time off, but on the first hand, I... I never hated music. I had never hated my life or fans or anything, you know. I just I was just exhausted of the whole touring and I felt really disconnected from my own music because it felt like almost like a formula that I had to produce like the same things over and over again. If I didn't do that, the fans 
they wouldn't accept it. And it was like an endless cycle of all those things. And when I, when I took the break and, well, I really took a break though, like almost a year that I haven't visited my own studio while my studio is in my house. So <laughs> it's wow. kind of weird. when I got back in the studio, I, yeah, I felt really refreshed and really happy to create something new that was more close to me, more personal. I'm really, you know, grateful that you want to have this conversation. I've been waiting for somebody to raise their hand and say, hey, anyone want to talk about that crazy few years that happened, you know, a decade ago where it was just out of control and the business and the money and the success and the, the momentum and the energy and the love and the judgment and all the stuff that comes with just being in the zeitgeist. You don't want to talk about that. And, and I feel like, you know, best person to have this conversation with because you reached heights that almost no one else in your peer group reached. And yet you had the foresight and the space and balance to say, I need to stop. And I think there were some people who should have stopped and didn't. And some who tried and couldn't. How hard was it making that decision when there was so much wind at your back? It was a really tough decision. It was such a hard decision that I, and I didn't even reach out to my own parents or my manager or anybody in the first place. Normally, like I, 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 if I don't know how to deal with something, the first person I talk to is my or my parents or my manager or even like personal stuff. But this felt so personal. I was struggling with something inside myself that I didn't talk with anybody, and I just. One day I was just like, I have, I have to take a break. Just I opened my email and I only emailed my, my, my dad and my manager. And it's like, I'm taking a break. This is not a discussion. I'm just taking a break. I'm done. I'm done living this wonderful dream that everybody thinks it is. But I'm just done dealing with jet lags. My health, my, I couldn't sleep anymore. My own house felt like a hotel room. It was super weird, like a lot of signals that I had to stop for a while. And then on the other hand, how hard the decision was, even harder when you think about like, yo, uh, my tour manager, uh, he has quit his job, my sound guy, the guy who makes my visuals. So yeah, it was a really tough decision, but I had, I had to do it. And I'm really glad that even like in my inner circle, my own team really accepted it and it was still there for me. You touched on some really... Uh important details that I think people forget when they buy a ticket. We buy a ticket, we show up, we have a great night, we leave. We're not thinking about the volume, the lights, the, the intensity of what you're at the center of, the feeling of responsibility to ensure everybody walks away feeling like they've got more than their money's worth. And I think also what's very unique to DJ culture when it, when it reached that level, which was like, I mean, DJs were the biggest rock stars on the planet at the time. So you, you, you really are at a sort of the highest level of intensity. You're playing in some cases until two in the morning and then you're straight on a plane if you get any sleep at all. Um, how long did it take for you to sort of come down and disconnect from that lifestyle? It's funny when I, um, well, as I just mentioned, when I sent that email that I wanted to stop, uh, in that email, I actually wrote that I wanted to stop for like six months. And after that, we will see which shows we're going to do. Or, but that was like, <laughs> obviously, that was way too short. And 
it ended up being a four-year uh, sabbatical, and I really needed a year, more like a year, to decompress, pro- like, properly sleep, uh, go to bed, like, and being tired, like seriously tired. Not tired because you did a lot of stuff, but being in the same time zone and <laughs> feeling healthy again, eating, eating healthy, working out whenever you want. My bed felt like my own bed again, instead of a business class seat in an airplane. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's the funniest thing because you talk about the dream live. And look, you made a really valid point at the beginning of this conversation. And we're going we're to swerve into the new music in the future at some point soon. But it's important, I think, that we establish this because I know from doing some research, this is a conversation you're open to heaven. And I think it's great for us as fans to better understand what some of the challenges of that era were. Because people talk about that time when EDM was a moment. And it was the greatest time. I was like, oh man, I was leaving college. I was doing this. And I just always remember those events and those moments and the Hardwell DJ set from that festival and that festival. But man, it was it was a lot, right? It was a lot. And I think that the dream of, of constant travel and success and everything else that came with it, also the need to prop yourself up and be able to deal with people at that level of intensity can drive DJs and others into, into al- a lot of alcohol. I drank a lot of alcohol when I was DJing at the height of that. I was doing a lot of shows. I was in a lot of festivals you were on. There was always alcohol in the dressing room. In some cases, it was drugs for people. How was that for you? Like, like how did you get through that time just as a person dealing with people? Obviously, there was like a lot of alcohol as well. I never had an alcohol problem, luckily, but I always could, could handle my alcohol. But that was like the painkiller, man. Yeah. When you felt oh man, I'm tired. I just, you know, I just did two shows yesterday. Now I'm here. Tomorrow World, closing main stage, whatever. Okay, vodka rebel, here we go. And it works. But uh, that's like the worst thing to do. Now I realize that. But at that point, it was just normal. Luckily, I'm, I, I never used drugs in my life because I'm scared of it. That's like the biggest reason. But um, yeah, I, I see it. Lifestyle, it's not healthy. Nobody is going to continue doing that for like, 20 years in a row. That's impossible. Even on the on such a high, I did like 200 flights a year and com- in combination with uh, sleeping uh, on, on, on the, in different time zones, drinking, not working out, eating a lot of burgers because you're basically living at the airport. It was... Uh, I, this is the part that nobody... As you mentioned, nobody talks about it, but there's a reason for it. Because a lot of people are like, why are you complaining, man? Yeah, I, I have a thing about that though, Hardwell, right? And, I, and I've, I've heard that from a lot of artists in different genres when we have conversations like this. It's a part of this, it's almost like a shame mechanism that makes people scared to kind of show that side of the life. But we need to know. As fans and as an industry, we need to know. Because that old excuse of like, this is what you wanted. This is every dream of yours coming true. You're making money. You're doing what you love. Great. But I'm also a person. And with that success comes the responsibility to, as you said, keep people employed. There's a fear of not wanting to lose your position in the queue, right? I've got the success. I've worked hard for it. I don't want to lose it. Like, let's take a look at number one DJ in the world, right? That matters in Mixmag. That matters in those magazines. That is a serious calling card and you've won it multiple times. But you can honestly, like, I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Once you get to that cover, then the fear kicks in. Because what happens if I don't get it next year, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly. That's 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 a pressure on your shoulders, and there is no way you can get rid of that because you are that number one DJ. Oh, so that's that, that's it. That was my career. I can only come down from this point. You know, it's it's weird. And talking about that, that was like the weirdest year ever in my career because I worked so long. Like started in Holland doing all those shows, go to Belgium, Europe, eventually America, playing all the shows, becoming the number one DJ in the world. They building a fan base you become the number one dj in the world and people don't don't buy tickets to see you anymore they buy tickets to see the number one dj instead of hardwell it's so weird yeah. it's so weird and then you lose your name your name starts becoming yours right and it starts becoming something else altogether yeah, yeah. I, f- I felt like okay so yeah worked i worked so long for building my name and my music and my style and then i that was the moment that like i felt pre- like a prisoner of my own creation literally you know a lot of people won't realize how much work you put into your craft before people even knew what you'd become hardwell is not like your real name per se you know it's it's something that you created to help to position and and build a world around your music but who you were before that you were already teaching you know learning instruments applying yourself you were somewhat of a teenage prodigy i mean you were signed at the age of 14 right i mean in a way, you never got a chance to live a normal childhood. That's true. Yeah, I was 14 when I even started playing the clubs in Holland already and headlining festivals. And that's always like a story that comes back in every interview. But I had to take my parents with me because I wasn't even allowed yeah. to enter the club under 18. So, uh, yeah, I was really, really young. And uh, that, that, that really felt when I took that sabbatical, I, I really took the time to grow as Robert, as a person, not as the artist anymore. Because I invested basically 90% of my time on this planet in, in the artist, in becoming a bigger and better version of myself as an artist and never as, as, a, as a person. Robert, can I call you Robert? Of course. <laughs> Robert, when you, thank you. When you think back on that, with a little bit of perspective, and again, let's just make this really clear to anybody who's investing in this conversation. This is not about complaints. Neither Robert nor myself are trying to establish this kind of grim reality around what success is, right? But it does come with a reality that needs to be acknowledged. And so with the benefit of perspective and hindsight, and you think back to yourself as a young child, when you're still a child, I mean, you're a teenager, but you're, still, you're a young adult, you're, you're not at a maturity level yet. Do you think it was healthy for you to start that young? Do you have any, not regrets, regrets is the wrong word because your life is as you make it and it's moving in the right direction. But do you feel like it's too young to begin to play in, in an adult world? Uh, maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. It's, uh, I think the difference is when you're like 14 right now, even like we can have, this is a a different subject with, with social media nowadays, like all those young, upcoming, inspiring producers. And I'm talking about like the kids from like 12, like 14 years old before they know they got a record deal or like a release on one of the biggest labels. And it's not normal. Like I don't regret being that young because I, I kind of had the right guidance from my parents. If you don't have that, if you don't have people that really care for you, I'm not talking about like a manager or whatever. No, no, the people who really know you, the people who will listen to you at your lowest point, tell the, you know, the the things you're most upset about. I, I get it. It's really important to have like a solid base, like a personal, like a family. And nine out of 10 times, those people are your parents, but it's really important to have like a solid base before you 
go into like a, a breakthrough like that because at some point you will get like lost in this world. It is it is a maze if you walk in this world. It makes sense to me that you would have started so young because you grew up in a community where electronic music has such a powerful and strong foundation and influence around the world. But if you're into dance music, the term Dirty Dutch is, 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 is no mystery to you. And the idea of Dutch dance music is like at a forefront. I've spoken to many people who make dance music and electronic music at the highest level who often refer to the Dutch sound as the gold standard. For you as a young person growing up, knowing that electronic music was already thriving, that there was nothing for you to necessarily invent, but there was something for you to fit into. How was that process for you of establishing your name and your style in a city and in a country that already is so steeped in quality? I think what really helped is uh, Thijs Tiesto. He's born and raised in the same super small city in the south of Holland where I'm from. And he was always in the news, like when he became the number one DJ in the world and he did his first concert. And since he was from the same city, he's like, yo, if he can do it, I can, I have a chance, you know? <laughs> he's also a guy from Breda. He's not from Amsterdam. He's also from the same small city. And I just started working on, on, on my production skills. And th- that was like different. People don't even understand, like a lot of DJs that don't produce their own music, which is fine. But always, I was always working on my more production side and after that i became a dj yeah. i creating music is always for me like kind of the number one because then you can create something that doesn't exist and that's always like the best feeling and that's the the even better feeling than that is creating something and then playing it out for yourself well i think you made a really important distinction between the, the successful eras of dance and club music and in the of the past and the one that occurred from 08 to about 13, 14, right? And that distinction, as you as you eloquently put, was that you were making and creating a sound and then you had to go and play it for people and ultimately bring it to life. Before that, DJs were going in the studio with engineers and trying to bring their DJ sets to life through original music. You know, a lot of people were already playing clubs and DJing and touring around the world and then someone would be like, you don't have a song to play. It's like, damn, I need to go find and make a song so I can play it out. You guys had to figure out how you were going to come, become performers. It was in reverse. And I can imagine that, that that really raises the anxiety level too because that room you're in right now, Robert, Hardwell Studio is a safe, safe place. What was it like when somebody came in with a packed bag and said, dude, shows to play. You got to bring this, these songs to life. Yeah, it, it, it was different. As you mentioned, this is my, literally where I am right now. This is my, my, my home studio and this is my safe zone. So creating something in here, I always refer to that in, in, my, in, my, in my head as well. When I'm on stage, it's, it's all created in this small room. Everything you hear on like Tomorrowland or Ultra, it just comes from this room, me by myself, creating music. It's it's just weird that it still doesn't get to my mind. I think a lot of artists will relate to this, but that you create something, something can come to your mind like really quick in 10 minutes you have like basically a, a drum loop. It's and the magic of it. Like, That's the magic. That's the magic we can never really explain or understand. And then like millions of people are touched by it or listen to it, or you're played at a festival in front of 20,000 people. That's, but, that's, that's the, really- but, but that's the bit I'm really zeroing in on is, is that you have the ability and the talent and the inspiration and the guidance to be able from, from, from your peers of the past to sit in that room and conjure up magic. But then you have to go and, and lean into the process. 
And don't get me wrong, playing shows in front of thousands of people creates a magical feeling. But it's part of a process at that point, right? It's like, all right, I have to go and entertain people now. Do you think you're a natural entertainer or do you have to learn how to do it? No, I really had to learn it. I think it, 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 especially with all the shows in the beginning that I did in Holland, it really took a lot of time for me to, well, get used to being on stage. Oh, you, it's okay for a DJ to show that you're enjoying what you're doing. Right, right, right. <laughs> especially in the beginning, I was so focused on mixing. I just didn't want to make any mistakes. I was just focused on mixing and looking down, not looking at the crowds. Just make, making sure that all my, all my transitions were like in <laughs> the right the right timing and yeah. I'm glad you said that because that shows a real a real detail and care toward the craft of DJing. Whereas I think what ultimately part of what undid the EDM craze is that after a while it really became more about the event and less about the craft of DJing. And if you begin in something which which has a soul to it, and then you end up kind of cutting corners on the thing that truly matters in order to get to the end. It's the long, slow goodbye of whatever that is, I think, at that point, right? And you're a DJ. You, you had to teach yourself how to DJ and become a DJ. How nerve-wracking was it when you'd find yourself in rooms with people who'd been doing it longer that you admired and it was your turn to get up? Because DJs know other DJs and they we certainly know DJs who can't do it. Yeah, that's... I, I don't know. Like in, in the beginning, you're just beat matching, but then there was so much more to the art of DJing, like reading the crowd. And yeah. I know this all sounds super cliche, but it's true. You know, you can drop a record in the first 10 minutes of your set and it, 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 the whole record doesn't work. And like later on in the set, like 30 minutes later, it's the biggest hit you could play that night. And that's just experience. You cannot learn that. Like it's, there is no rule. There is no guidance. There's no book you can read to understand this. It's making hours in front of thousands of people and just, yeah. naturally, I don't know, like it's, it's it's like a sixth sense. I don't know. How welcoming and, and how supportive is the Dutch electronic music scene as a whole? Is it competitive? Is it Does it challenge your ability in order to fit in? Do you have to justify your place? Or is it arms round each other right from the get-go and, and a desire to succeed as a whole? No, everybody's like, we're all like good friends in every genre. Even like, you can tell that, for example, if you take, Tiesto and Armin were like from back in the day when Thais even was like a trans DJ. They even know all the hip hop guys in Holland. Like everybody knows each other in every single genre and everybody's helping each other. And th that's a good thing that Holland is that small. You can drive like two hours and you've seen <laughs> almost every city in the country. And that's why everybody knows each other. And the music scene is really small. And I think that really helped in the first place developing dance music here in Holland. There's a reason I think why there's so many Dutch DJs still in like a DJ Mac top 100 or everybody's helping each other. And the competition is so on such a high level, the standard of creating music and DJing. And that's why basically all the people always say like, I don't know. I don't get this, man. Every DJ from Holland is talented. It's not talented. It's like the standard. You don't even cut like the grass. If you're, <laughs> if you can even beach match or like produce your own music. I'm glad you said that because I, I I was about to ask that. I was like, are you any closer to truly identifying like why in this particular case, this country, which as you pointed out is relatively small by, by geographic standards, is able to deliver such a high level of of talent and taste. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're saying that it really comes down to support and high standards. It is. Yeah, yeah, The standard is really high. Like a lot of DJs on every corner, corner is like a kid from 12 years old right now that want to become the new Martin Garrix. So yeah, yeah. 
It makes sense, man. Same reason why hip hop came out in New York City, right? On every corner and every borough, there was somebody else who was the best rapper you knew. You know, they just had, they just hadn't been discovered at that point, man. So, what did you do in the four years? I mean, well, <laughs> two of those years we were all doing what you were doing. We were figuring out how to how to focus on different things and hopefully come out the other end of this f- feeling stronger and better and improved in areas. But how would you sum up your time, like in particular the the couple of years before we went into quarantine? I really took some time off of music because I wanted to reflect on myself as a person and. If I'm going to go back on stage, which, what, what kind of music do I want to play? I, I, I really felt disconnected at some point from, I feel myself like I've, I felt disconnected from myself as an artist, even music-wise. Was it challenging, Robert, to not open the door and go in your studio? I mean, it's in your house. You are literally ignoring a room in your house. Yeah, it is. It is in the basement, though, so I have specifically, I have to go downstairs to go to the studio. But... Um, yeah, I, 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 I just, the moment I walked back into the studio, I just wanted to create whatever I, I, I felt like making. No deadlines, not thinking about, oh, this is going to work on the dance floor. This is a peak time record. This is techno. This is trans. This is ele- I don't care. I just going to make music that I want to hear on a festival. And I just want to create music that I really feel. And I went back in my own vinyl collection listening to records that I bought as a kid. Like, as you mentioned, I was like 14 years old when I started DJing with vinyl. And I, I just went back to the, all those memories. Like, what was the reason as a young kid, as, as a 14-year-old, why I bought this record? There was something significant in this record, a, a, a lead sound, a synth sound, a bass line. What did I like about this record and why? And I've been just listening to all those records for days in a row. And I took that as an inspiration to create the new album. Did you create parameters for yourself of what not to do? Did you retire certain synth presets, you know, drum programs that, or, or sample libraries that you'd used in the past? Were you searching for inspiration by not leaning back? Because over time, you just build this library of sounds and it, and it becomes your signature sound. It, yeah, it, 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 I, I did a lot of... Well, I said goodbye to a lot of samples and patterns, and I didn't want to go back to the famous like snare patterns in the build-up, yeah, like yeah, done. Yeah. Um, I went back to like the old old stuff, like a nine hundred nine snare. Uh, the funny thing is, I used a lot of old sample packs, like old sample packs, and not like the the standard cashmere sample bank that everybody is using right now. Yeah. Not the famous Hardwell Big Room super saw since no i wanted to create everything from scratch that's awesome man i mean for you to have created things that other people use because they wanted a taste of your sound and then to turn your back on your own sound must have felt like you were disassociating yourself from your own identity it didn't feel that way though it's not that i didn't want to use it i just wanted to challenge myself it's so easy to come back do the same trick again uh working in the same formula uh, formula and you know the same cliche big room kind of drop same kick drum and were you feeling that way back in 2018 i mean how visceral was that feeling that like wow man i'm in the back of a minivan on my way to the airport and i've made this song 50 times and i know what's gonna work i know which buttons it's gonna press on the crowd i know what people want to hear were you having thoughts of that nature was it that clear in your mind it was yeah 
as you just mentioned, that's exactly how, how it went in my, in my head. I think the perfect example was the Tomorrowland 2018 set I played. It's, I, I love that set, don't get me wrong. But that in the end, when I, when I was in my sabbatical and I watched that, that setback, that was exactly what I didn't want to do anymore. Because that was, that was so obvious how I played that set. Not like in a commercial way, but like in a formula way. I think every hardball fan was expecting, oh, he's going to close with this song. He's going to probably play that hardball remix in front of that. And I'm, I was done with that. Like, now I'm just DJing again. I'm just having my, my SD cards, my USBs, and no order, and just banging out stuff that I like to play. And one time it's more techy, the other, the other time it's more big roomish. I don't care anymore. And that, that's the feeling you need as a DJ. The album begins with a song called Broken. It's a very personal message at the very at the beginning of an album. You realize that you know you really are introducing us to a personal journey that is then open for us to apply to our own lives. And you finish that introduction with a very clear statement. You know, I'm going to show you who I really am. The idea of creating a new album, coming back and going straight into an album, to me is admirable. This scene wasn't built out of albums. It was built out of songs, singular moments that moved a lot of people, and you'd build your set around it. You, it's clear to me you wanted to make that statement that I'm going to come back and I'm going to make a serious statement through a body of work. Yeah, I, I, I really wanted to create this album, uh, not just a comeback set or a couple of new songs and play my old songs as well and make a combination out of it. Even with my comeback show at Closing Ultra in Miami, I made the decision to only play new songs, I, basically the new album, not combined with my old stuff. Uh, well, I played Spaceman, but in a new version i created myself but besides that i just i wanted to make a statement this is what i'm doing right now this is what i love to do and as i just mentioned in the, in the previous question that's djing just banging out stuff you like to hear not playing that hit record that you know the crowd will love no just going all in playing new stuff and well that was an anxious moment i'm just gonna be really honest did, it, did it work how did you feel when you walked off stage did you feel like it was universally appreciated definitely not that was the thing because um it, it felt both i was like emotionally drained of the tension of a comeback show playing all the new stuff and knowing that there are a lot of fans expecting me to do that big room stuff and do the hardball mashups with, with hip hop songs and closing with hardstyle and the obvious, the obvious stuff, but we, I just mentioned it and nah, that, that didn't happen. So I know a lot of people were like sad or, or even, even mad that I didn't do that anymore, that I changed, but that was at that moment when I started releasing the songs of the album and people have access to the higher quality and the, 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 the music, how it's supposed to, to sound like and, that was the moment like a lot of people started to appreciate what I was doing. The first comments on my on the on the YouTube live stream were like 50% hateful and 50% were like positive. And then it turned around. Like it, it takes time. I mean, short to your point, short of going up there and playing that Tomorrowland set exactly as you did back in 2018, you were never gonna get any other reaction. People wanted you to pick up where you left off. 100 percent And I really felt even for dance music, it was time for, for a change, you know, even for me as an artist, I think if you're a true fan, you will appreciate that I'm developing my sound and trying something new. I'm not saying this is better or my old stuff is better. Nothing is better. It's different, 
but it's great for an artist. I think you should appreciate it as a fan and artist that he's trying to develop new stuff, trying new styles, try to combine new stuff. Same goes for Swedish House Mafia. They did something totally new, refreshing, you know, and but they for same goes for them. People expect a new don't you worry child. That's what they expect. They expect a new one or save the world. And same goes for me. They expect the new big room song or the same formula that I hated at that moment when I took the sabbatical. So yeah. It, I it, love it, that they, Swedish House Mafia album. Yeah. It's amazing. It's not without its humor, Robert. A song like Pac-Man, first of all, that's not fundamentally and factually true from what we can tell. I don't believe that Pac-Man actually stands for program and control, but the fact that you made that up is epic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and the story is interesting and it's fun and it's tongue-in-cheek. And then at the end, you know, you throw just your hat in the ring on it a little bit with, with that sort of, if we had been influenced by Pac-Man, then we'd be running around clubs, throwing pills down our throats and listening to repetitive electronic music. I mean, it's your way I feel of saying, I get it, I'm in on it, I've made it, but don't think that I'm not aware of it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a culture thing almost. Like, we're used to it. This is, this is dance music. We're doing it. Yeah, I, I, when I heard the, the whole the idea of the track and the sample, and I loved it, man. That's the most repetitive track on the album. That's the whole cliche thing about it. That's what I mean. You're in on the joke and, and you've actually, you know, you've shown that, listen, you want me to do that. I can do that. Yeah, exactly. Will you do it again if if you feel the urge? Are you just following your inspiration at this point? If if something came to you one day, if you went upstairs after this conversation and the right chemistry of ingredients throughout the day led you to want to make something that just hit the big room, would you do it? Yeah, never say never. I like, if I feel the inspiration to make something new, that's the answer. Something new. I'm not saying I'm not never coming back to Big Room, but I, I, will, I will always use that as, as an inspiration if it sounds refreshing. I'm not going to do the same formula again and making a copy of one of my older songs because it works or it streams. I, I will do that 100%. But so, if I come up with something new and which feels exciting to me, yeah, why not? So we've talked about when it was at its most challenging for you personally even with the greatest of respect, the experience others had. When was it at its most exciting? When was it at its most joyful? What was the moment or the gig or the venue or the residency or the festival where Hardwell 1.0 was just peak joy? I think that it was definitely around 2012, 2013, when the whole EDM scene blew up in, in, in the States. And obviously one of the best sets I've ever DJed was the Ultra. Uh, 2013 set that set felt so into place that skyrocketed my career i always say that one set only made me the number one dj in the world that was such a statement that said and i never realized that when i climbed the stage i wasn't even ready to make a statement like that when you decided to come back who are you most excited about seeing again who had you missed in your peer group because it was such a tight group of of, of people who only you could truly identify and understand what each other was going through it for those, for those five or six years. Who were you really excited to see again and who had you missed? Yeah, well, the whole, the whole team, definitely my tour manager. Besides like besides all, the, all my colleagues and all the other DJs, obviously, and the promoters, that's, that's a different thing. But for example, my tour manager, my, well, my manager lives close by, so I, I, I still saw her a lot, but my tour manager lives in Miami. So 
one day you're like family, like brothers. You're touring around the world constantly together, nonstop. Like it's it, you really have like a marriage almost. And then when I stop DJing, you get really separated for a couple of years. So yeah, we always had so much fun on the road. And uh, well, yeah, shout out to many man. Shout out <laughs> to really, many. And what and what about, and what about your peers as DJs as well? Because you know, there were friendships that were formed. I mean, who are the people that, you know, you grew close to in that in that first era that you've really enjoyed seeing again or you look forward to seeing in the future once you're out on, on doing shows again? Uh, a lot of people, man, like uh, Thais Tiesto, he always helped me a lot during my career. So uh, I haven't seen him that much. Armin, uh, like all, all, the, all the Dutch guys. We actually stayed in touch a lot. Even in my sabbatical, we did a lot of Zoom calls together and which is a good thing, especially in the COVID times, you know, <laughs> where how we finally had the time to ask each other, like, how are you doing? <laughs> but not at a festival, not with loud music on a stage in a transition between two DJs. Like this was like the time that we really had the time to talk to each other and ask each other, how were, how are you dealing with this problem? How are you dealing with, with your health? How you do, how, how do you do this? Like, it, was, it really felt like a great, COVID was a really great time for us as DJs to reflect on what we did in the past and how we, how we could change the bad things. You know, Robert, I think your story, coming back with your most kind of forward thinking and progressive album yet after taking a break is not only a sign of real courage, you know, because like I said, you could easily just slip back into those, those sample packs. But also I think that the story you're telling now about why you chose to take a break is inspiring and hopefully will be a lesson for others in the future as and when this moment occurs again. Because we, one thing I can, we can be sure about us as a species, as human beings, is we don't learn these lessons very well. <laughs> I, think, I, th I think about 2018 though, and I think about your decision to walk away and coinciding on the same year that we lost one of the great artists of that scene and of, and of music in general. And we lost Avicii and I think a lot has been talked about and con continues to be talked about, thankfully, about his condition and, and ultimately what contributed to his cha the challenges that he faced. Did that was that sort of on your mind at that point? Were you aware that 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 the wheels were turning off for people that you admired and and for your peer group, and that in some respects you had to like focus on your health? Like hundred percent. Like for me, the the death of Tim was definitely the trigger for me to. Well, pull the trigger myself and like, yo, I'm taking a break. That that's it. Like, I'm losing one of my friends now, and worst feeling in the world. And yeah, there is no way that there is no solution in between. There is no way you you can still tour, and then you well, obviously you can stop drinking, take more time off to start doing your workouts and that kind of stuff. But you still have to deal with the jet lags, the time zone, your relationship at home not seeing your friends that's the touring schedule and i really wanted to like take the time to develop myself as a person even more i i it really felt like that i stood still as a person and that i only developed myself as an artist and i needed that i needed that break to i don't i don't want to say like getting back down to earth but living a normal life that was that was this the only thing that Tim said. He wanted to live a normal life, not being famous, not making music at a certain point. He lost his feeling of 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 being a normal human being, and that's that's a weird position to be in. When you think back on on Tim, because he, oh man, I never got a chance to really to to meet him. At least to my memory, I never got a chance to meet him, and I would have remembered meeting him because people speak so highly of 
But, but his influence was so far-reaching and his talent was so clear, so gifted. But as someone who knew him well and as the legacy is in our hands now to, 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 to continue to build around the, the greatness that he achieved in an in all-too-short period of time, what for you made him so special and so unique? Someone you got to know personally and someone you admired creatively. Yeah. Um, he, he was the best musician, electronic musician I've ever met. And he still is till this day. And I'm, you, you, it's, you never, you're never going to convince me there's someone better in making melodies and chords and writing such catchy, catchy hooks. And he knew exactly what he wanted. Uh, songwriting, the way the singer should sing, uh, the way he wrote his melodies, his signature in every song, still being super diverse. He could make like a super rolling electro song with Lenny Kravitz, Nadia Handlick, Wake Me Up with a country, country hook in it. It's unbelievable. And even as a, as a, as a person, you know, he was such a nice guy, such a humble person. And yeah, I'm really glad we did so many shows together and yeah, that we became friends over the years and I learned a lot from him, like especially musical talent. I, just, I always think of silhouettes, you know. When I think of him, I think of silhouettes. I know it was an early cut, but I just remember the first time I heard that, the way, the progression. Yeah. And the way he finds his way back to the start to me was like, this is Mozart. Like, this is Beethoven. It is. It, 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 it was truly unseen in dance music. There was no way you could make music like that. Even not even in trance music, because they always kept going with the same apetiators and the same chords and the same emotion. And Tim came with chords. Not even, if you strip those songs down and take away the 4x4 four four kick drum, even if you consider it a pop song, it is next level. Not mm -hmm. even... It was even seen in dance music. You know, this has been such a rewarding conversation. I mean, we passed each other on planes and in buses and vans at festivals and on sites. And I was always sort of way over the other side of the field, but still having the time of my life. And I'd, I'd watch from a distance, you DJ, and watch just the level of production and how big everything sounded and just think like... And there were times, you know, Robert, when I would think, wow. And your peers would talk about you, you know. People who I really admire would often say, like, it's it's Robert. It's like Hardwell. Like, he's the benchmark. Like, if you want to do it with taste and you want to do it big, that's that's who you're really trying to trying to get to. And I always wondered, like, how do you do it? Like, how do you maintain this level of pressure and success? So to hear you talk about where it fell apart for you and having the self-awareness to be able to walk away has been an inspiring moment, man, I think for all DJs. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I think uh, I, I didn't do it to make an example, but it should be an example and it should be normal to make a decision like that. It's, it's success is just not even relevant at that point. It's your health that's the most important thing. And for me, it's I, I really feel right now that I that the whole comeback and the whole tour that I'm doing right now, it feels so much better. If I kept going over, I was, if I was uh, not taking that sabbatical and still was doing the same stuff I was doing back then, now I'm enjoying it again more than ever. Like I, I, I feel the, the, the energy of the crowd better. I, at a certain point when you're that tired on tour, 
You're numb. You can't even feel that energy anymore. You can see it, but you cannot even feel it. I, I, and one of the perfect examples is that I did some shows and people talk about like people always, you know, as you mentioned, you come across each other at a festival and then a fan or somebody you haven't seen in a while, like, yo, Hardwell, I love that set, man. You played in uh, 2014 in New York. I'm like, which show? I can't even, I can't even remember it. You know, you at a certain point, not because the show wasn't great, because I was just numb. I was done. Like, my brain was done. Like, I couldn't even make memories anymore because I was like drained emotionally. Well, I always had this feeling that human beings, we are finite. You know, we talk about this kind of like, oh, how much we have the capacity for our ability to absorb and learn and grow and take things on. But it's finite. You know when you're in the red. You know when the needle is hitting the red. Yeah, 100%. And now, taking that step back, I even for people, eh, it's not it's not even for like DJs, if people with a regular job and they don't like their job anymore. Consider taking a break. And I know, I know this, I I get, I get it. Yeah, 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 financial wise. And it's a really tough decision, but I promise you it's impossible to go to your work every single day for the next 40 years if you don't enjoy your job. You're not becoming a better person. You will hate yourself in the end, looking back at it. Man, I, I love to hear you find a new voice through your music. I wish you all the best on this tour sold out back in the big rooms, bro. But I just know that you're in charge now. It's been good to connect with you. I'm glad this was our first conversation. You know, this is the, the timing was perfect. Man, I look forward to the next one already. Great to connect with you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you. A powerful conversation with an undeniable superstar in dance music, wanting to do things differently his way and getting his life back. That is Hardwell on the interview series. We appreciate his time as we do everybody who joins us right here for conversation and thank you for checking it out. 